And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with me today is Pastor Ben Miller, pastor of Trinity Church OPC on Long Island. Ben, it's nice to have you with us. It's a real privilege and pleasure, Dan. Thank you. Well, um, this is a wonderful time of year. Um, We just came through Thanksgiving. Lots of folks got together with their families. Um, Some shut-ins perhaps did not, and I hope that uh, for them they found the radio ministry perhaps a blessing and help. But um, this time of year, we're in fact tomorrow, is the beginning of the Advent season, and I uh, thought that what we could do today, uh, Ben, is to talk a little bit about worship in the church and liturgy and even the Christian calendar, and uh, what is this thing of Advent? And I know it's a big subject, and that we can't possibly sure. uh, deal entirely with it today, but maybe you could get us going and describe um, uh, what your understanding, you know, certainly based on Scripture, um, of worship is, and what are some of the elements that we need to have in our worship services? Well, um, I I come from uh, from the Presbyterian uh, tradition within the Reformed uh, orbit, and and one of the things that uh, Presbyterians have um, taught and talked a lot about is is worshiping God the way that God wants us to worship Him, and and I think the Scripture gives some pretty clear. Uh, direction as to the things that God delights in and finds acceptable in worship, um, preaching, prayer, singing, um, I think almsgiving or offerings and, and these sorts of things. And, and yet, of course, when you get into the question of how to do these things, what, what form you should use in prayer or what you ought to be preaching on this Sunday or um, you know what, what songs you're going to sing in this worship service, I mean, that's all a matter um, for... Uh, human wisdom and, and discretion, um, what, what's edifying for the flock. And um, so uh, that, that's part of what's got me interested in in the uh, the Christian calendar, for example, and, and Advent uh, as part of that, and, and, uh, and also just into thinking about how to structure liturgy uh, in particular is, is what really makes for, as long as we're doing the things that God has told us to do and not just making up our own inventions in worship, how can we do the things that God has told us to do well, and in a way that is not only uh, sweet uh, fragrance, as it were, in, in his nostrils, but uh, something that really is building up the flock. So that, I guess that's kind of the general framework that, mm-hmm. uh, that I'm coming from. Yes. It's kind of interesting. Um, I am a member of a church uh, that's going through a, a change in pastorates uh, after 40 years, and wow. Um, I'm, you know, working every week on um, kind of some of the elements, some of the prayers and stuff uh, that that will go into the worship service that gets documented in the bulletin. Um, it was helpful to me. It's it helped me appreciate better what the pastor goes through in in uh, thinking through and and yet using the resources available to him. Uh, as as he he works through that worship service that's coming up the next week, yeah. um, you know it's almost lonely at times. I think for the minister of God, you know, because he's there on the front end uh, a week ahead of time, maybe more, uh, thinking about these things, and you know he's just struggling with it and trying to get these things down on paper. And what are some of the 
guidelines that you might have that you could share with fellow pastors of, yeah. of how to um, think about that and arrange the worship service. Well, interestingly, yeah, I, I, I do my liturgies actually a month in advance. Um, mm. and it takes me a good part of a day uh, to get them all put together. We, we use a, a fairly um, full liturgy uh, that begins with the call to worship and, and moves from the call to um, you know a, a time of confession of sin and, and declaration of, of pardon, and then we have scripture readings and, and singing interspersed. Um, and then, of course, we eventually come to the sermon, and then after that we have communion every week, followed by kind of the, the commission and blessing and benediction. So it's, it's, there's a lot going on, and, and I have to sort of think all of this through. Some of it is stuff we do every single week, like we sing certain mm-hmm. uh, songs every single week, like the, the Sanctus or the Gloria Patri or, or what have you. Right. But other, other things, uh, song selections or prayers or, or scripture readings, I have to select. And, uh, this, you know, one of our... <laughs> great fears historically as Presbyterians has been anyone imposing anything on us. You must yes. do this form of prayer. But uh, since really nobody is doing that anymore, um, <laughs> you know, those fears are sort of uh, uh, not so current. Now, um, I, I have actually found uh, there's just such a tremendous treasure trove of materials in historical Christianity uh, that you can draw from. I mean, in, in prayers, for example, I always begin each week with what is called a collect, um, a short form of prayer, and I take it each week from the uh, the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, that would probably have made some of my Presbyterian forebears <laughs> concerned, but, <laughs> but nobody's forcing us to do, use this anymore. But I just have found the, the work that Thomas Cranmer and others did in, in preparing those short prayers, they are so edifying. And so I always... Uh, begin with one of those. That's our opening prayer each week. Is is the uh, the, the collect for the particular Lord's Day? Um, so uh, I I just would encourage men um, a couple of things. Number one, try to try to connect three things. Number one, try to make sure that the things going on in the liturgy do relate somehow to your sermon. Um, to take the Word of God preached as kind of a hub around which you build the other parts of your liturgy. Hmm. Second thing would be, though, make sure that as you're working your way through your, your liturgy, the parts relate to each other in a way that makes sense. I have been trotted through liturgies that I would have to say, I mean no disrespect, but they were really quite incoherent. And I think it's hugely helpful to the worshiper if, if there's a clear sense of coherence between, you know, this is why we're doing this now. <laughs> Uh, this makes sense here. You know, we don't end with a confession of sin. That shows up at the beginning of the service, because we need God to pardon and cleanse us, that we might be fitted to worship Him. And you know, Helping people sort of think about the, the mm-hmm. narrative flow of the liturgy, and why this part is before this part, and how this relates to the next, and why this song has anything to do with what we just prayed, or you know, those sorts of things. Yes. So, and then thirdly, we just be used historical resources. I mean, what there are such glorious prayers that have been written, hundreds of prayers, whether it's, you know, on, on the more Puritan end of things from, say, the Valley of Vision, or whether it's the Book of Common Prayer or whatever. Uh, the same thing, well, we'll come to the Christian calendar and how that can be helpful. Um, but just some, some fantastic resources I've found just even to study the history of liturgies, you know, like William Maxwell's An Outline of Christian Worship, or uh, Bard Thomas's Liturgies of the Western Church, or some of the work by Hughes, Oliphant, and Old, and so on. I mean, there's just some great stuff where you can pull things in that have been done before but done well. Um, those would be some thoughts I would have on constructing liturgies. Yeah, 
That is very helpful. And what we'll do is we'll take a short break okay. and uh, we'll come back and continue this discussion. On the other side of the break, what I want to do is you, you did mention the Book of Common Prayer and the Collects. I, I have a collect up here on the computer. I want to read it and see if it's familiar to you. I suspect it will be. And so we'll, we'll take a short break. Today we're talking with Pastor Ben Miller, and we're talking about worship, liturgy, the Christian calendar, and we'll soon talk about Advent. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Come down, O love divine. Seek thou this soul of mine, and visit it with thine own ardor glow. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Pastor Ben Miller of Trinity Church on Long Island. And we're talking today about Christian worship and liturgy and the Christian calendar. And soon we'll be talking about Advent uh, later in this program. But um, I did uh, reference, or actually Ben referenced first, the Book of Common Prayer and uh, this collection of beautiful prayers. uh, They're called Collects. I have one up here on the screen, Ben, I want to read, and it's probably very familiar to you, and it's for the first Sunday of Advent. It goes like this, and it is a prayer, and we, sh- we, we say this very reverently because it is a prayer, and it says, Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life, 
in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again, in his glorious majesty, to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. It's uh, just a glorious prayer, and if I had to sit down and pen an original prayer, I'll be honest with you, I couldn't come close to this. Yeah. And uh, what I want to ask you, and this is unrehearsed, and it's this, um, this has this clear sense of coherence that you referred to and would fit into a worship service that glorifies God and makes a lot of sense to the people of God. I want to contrast that with a, with a possible objection. Um, suppose somebody says, yes, but you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to lead. Um, have you thought through that objection, and what might be your answer? Well, it might interest hearers to know that my own background growing up was that I was, I was reared in a charismatic church, so I'm, I'm very familiar with that concern. And I, I think in some ways it just simply confuses spontaneity with being spirit-led. Um, and, and I think those are different things. Not that they're totally disconnected necessarily, but, but the idea that something must be spontaneous, that is, it must spring sort of unbidden and unrehearsed from my heart in order to be sincere or to be spirit-led, um, it seems to me to be actually kind of a, a reduction of the work of the Spirit. Um, the fact that I have a date every week with my wife doesn't mean that our love is any less spontaneous. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the fact that um, we do anything uh, consistently, uh, I would argue actually uh, that in, in most of human life, doing things regularly and consistently until they become habitual is a big part of how we come to excellence at anything, whether it's shooting mm. a basketball or <laughs> yeah. you know, playing piano or whatever. And so I, I think in worship we just need to be careful to say that somehow God is somehow less honored or less... that he's somehow uh, inhibited, as it were, by the fact that we do something repeatedly or that we uh, do it until it becomes... You know, almost instinctive. In fact, uh, and this is it's, what's really interesting is to watch how this works with children. Mm-hmm. One of the little girls in our congregation recently was quite put out with me because we had a baptism one Sunday and we didn't have room in the liturgy for the creed. Well, she's been saying the creed now for two years since we planted Trinity Church, and she was quite annoyed that we didn't have the creed. She missed <laughs> it. And I thought that was interesting because it shows, I think, that children love doing things again and again oh, yes. and again and again. <laughs> Uh, and I don't, I don't think any of that is quenching the Spirit, provided that we don't, in the ritual and in the repetitiveness, allow it to become something where our hearts are checked out and we're just sort of going through motion. Right. Right. You know, something else you mentioned early on in our discussion today was one of the parts of worship is to confess our sin uh, as a congregation and then receive that declaration of pardon from yeah. from the minister. And this past Lord's Day, I experienced a, a very deep sense of, of Christ's presence when the pastor yes. uh, pronounced the declaration of pardon. And it was like a... Uh, it was real. The Holy yes. Spirit, I tell you, the Holy Spirit was truly working 
in those carefully used words pronounced by a minister of word and sacrament, and it was real. Um, and so I, I'm just so thankful yeah. for for these forms um, because truly the Holy Spirit does use them. He does. Um, well, because he uses the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and really, the, the Declaration of Pardon is nothing more than just a, a pithy statement of the gospel. Yeah. Now, um, there's so much to talk about. We have maybe 10 minutes left. Okay. Um, Christian calendar. Um, yeah. Could we talk a little bit about that? And suppose someone has an interest in that. This is like, um, we have amnesia, I'm afraid, here in the American Christian Church. We've kind of forgot where we came from. Boy. Could you guide us a little bit? Well, oh yes, this is such an enormous topic. I mean, in, in brief, um, there has there has been over the centuries a, a kind of structuring. Uh, t- today in the 21st century, of course, our, our sense of yearly time is largely marked by the school calendar. Um, Mm-hmm. But, of course, it was not always us. Uh, the Church historically tended to order its year around um, Advent, around what we call Christmas time, and then into uh, Epiphany and Lent, on into uh, eventually Passion Week and Easter, and then uh, equally exciting uh, celebrations of Christ's Ascension and Pentecost, and finally Trinity Sunday, which launches the second half of the Christian year, uh, which is uh, just kind of a, a prolonged uh, celebration of the reign of Christ from heaven and, and the, the rule of our triune God uh, leading us back to Advent. You know, when, when I go to talk to my elders about what should I be preaching on next, th- this, of course, is, is, is something we clearly want to, be, we want to keep preaching Jesus constantly mm-hmm. and preaching the Scriptures constantly, but we have to figure out uh, what do our people need and what would yes. be edifying for them. And, and I have just found that working through this yearly calendar, where I, I preach a Christmas sermon, I preach a, a Passion uh, Palm Sunday sermon, I preach an Easter sermon, uh, an Ascension Sunday sermon, and all these things. Uh, I have found these give me the opportunity throughout the year to bring my congregation back to the big story mm. <laughs> of Christ, you know, the, the center of history, the, 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 the one in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily and, and dwells bodily still, and, and just keeping that meta-narrative, maybe we could say, mm. uh, in front of the congregation, so that doesn't get, we don't lose the forest for the trees. Um, mm. I have just found it so helpful, and it just, I, I can't wait for Advent this year. I, I, I <laughs> love Advent more because I've been thinking about it more in a more focused way in recent years, each each winter, and um, that's sort of just an initial, uh, I guess, answer would just be, it's just edifying. Mm. I, I heard someplace someone say that, um, you know, our whole focus is on Christmas, and yet uh, we're missing uh, this whole period of time that the Christian Church is called Advent. Can you comment about that? Well, one of the things that I like uh, about the, the way that the Christian calendar is laid out is that it gives lots of lead time. It doesn't just smack you with Christmas. <laughs> Advent is, is a time of extended reflection uh, about the story of the coming of Christ. Same thing with Lent. I mean, uh, long as it's done non-legalistically, Lent is, is a long period of time to really, really yes. ponder the sins that put Christ on the cross, my sins in particular. And uh, to me, uh, Advent pastorally serves the purpose of just giving us a number of weeks to, as it were, prepare our hearts for a fresh reception of, of Christ. I mean, not that he's coming again in the flesh, that's a once-for-all thing, but mm-hmm. that our preparation to acknowledge that and to 
to worship at his feet and to to delight in the reality that he's come we have we have been prepared for that we've taken four weeks or so to really warm up to that and 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 I think that is one of the ways we can most effectively push back against just the commercializing of Christmas mm. the sense that Christ is really there in the service is so very important to us um, how do you encourage that sense among the people of God attending the worship service? Well, one of the things that we use in our worship is called the Sursum Corda, which is the, something John Calvin loved to talk about, lift up your hearts. Um, mm. And I think that one of the things that we're trying to learn to do through our liturgy each week is to recognize that we are ascending by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit into the very throne room of God. I mean, that's just Hebrews 12. You have come to Mount Zion, mm. where Christ is. And and I, we, we have actually sort of a, a, a narrative flow to our liturgy that we're, we're going up the mountain again each week. Really, God is reaching down and drawing us up by His Spirit. But, but by faith, we ascend on high. We set our affections on things above. We really enter God's presence. And I, I just, really, you just, we talk about it every week. And the flow of the liturgy helps with that. I mean, we mm. all, right after the absolution every week, that's when, you know, you shout out, people of God, lift up your hearts, and they respond, we lift them up to the Lord, and it's a very powerful moment in the worship service. Mm. Beautiful. We are entering into this period of Advent. It starts tomorrow, as, as we mentioned. I'll bet that your, um, your bulletin, uh, you have a fairly well-thought-out bulletin. I'll bet that's got a lot of uh, Advent... Uh, flavor to it this week. Right. We uh, we put First Sunday of Advent right on the cover, and we have, I, I actually, this time of year, for the four weeks of Advent, each, uh, we, we, we ordinarily do uh, readings from the Old Testament and the New Testament, but mm-hmm. in this time, our Old Testament New Testament readings are actually taken, in this case, from Isaiah, the, the servant songs of Isaiah, and then passages from early Luke and Matthew that talk about the coming of Christ, because we're really building the uh, the story up yes uh, and we we start singing Christmas carols even now mm, okay just, just to get ready yes I can't help but think about this and pardon me this also is completely unrehearsed um, your background you mentioned the church that you that you were a part of when you were growing up um, I I believe you you didn't realize that you were going to become a pastor someday. And, and 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 you followed after a slightly different uh, path. Can you explain just briefly where you were headed and what you were doing, and then how was it that God grabbed you and brought you to be a a, a minister? Well, short answer is my father was a lay pastor, and the one thing I t- there were two things I swore I would never ever be: I'd never be a pastor and never be a teacher. <laughs> so I went into law, and I actually went through law school, passed the bar exam, mm-hmm. and so on. But in in that time. Um, I discovered something. I had grown up in an extremely confused church life, uh, mm-hmm. where really it was quite awful in, in a lot of ways, very oppressive. And, and, and I realized that because I had not known the scriptures and known theology, uh, I had a lot of damage, and my family had, and people I loved had. And so mm-hmm. around my third or fourth year of law school, I began to have this burning desire to know theology and to know the scriptures well so that I could help other people who were caught in bad teaching. And mm-hmm. that just became such a burden that I couldn't escape it. <laughs> yeah. I, in retrospect, I would, I would recognize that as an early sense of call to the ministry. 
and one thing led to another. I met another. I met Pastor Bill Shishko. Um, oh yes, from the OPC here on Long Island, and he was a great encouragement to me. And one thing led to another, and eventually I ended up uh, going to seminary and uh, was ordained in 2005. So, you know, God always gets His man, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a beautiful thing, and um, I'm thinking, wow, it's a small world because mm-hmm. Bill Shishko is is such a dear brother, yeah. and uh, in the early uh, formative years of Redeemer Broadcasting. He was one of the few men who took the time once a week, called me on my lunchtime, and would pray for this ministry of Redeemer with me. And he has such a pastoral heart. He's a pastor's pastor. He is. That's exactly what he is. And I I just praise God for him. I see we're just about out of time for our program today. Ben, just a closing thought, perhaps, related to Advent, and um, would appreciate that. Well, one time in seminary, O. Palmer Robertson came to visit us, and he was talking about one of his books, and we asked him, how could we benefit from his book? And his, he said, enjoy it. And that's what I would say about Advent, <laughs> just enjoy it. <laughs> yes. The gift from the Lord that would think about Christ coming. Yes, praise the Lord. Well, today we've had uh, the pleasure of having Ben Miller, pastor of Trinity Church, in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. It's on Long Island. And uh, Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dan, for having me. A quick reminder to join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. can guess its grace